everybody, welcome back to Letterman Road. This is the practice report brought to you by Byers Auto, Ohio State, getting ready for a road trip, the first of the season to Penn State. Supposed to be a Big Ten East Division championship game. Instead, it's an eliminator for the Nittany Lions. Uh, and the Buckeyes are coming off of a 52-17 opening win over Nebraska on Saturday. Ryan Day and a handful of Buckeyes uh, met with the media on Tuesday afternoon before practice uh, to set the scene for what lies ahead. Um, Berm, rather than guide you one way or another, I think there's one dominant storyline for the Buckeyes this week, but what was your primary takeaway from Day and those Buckeyes? Well, I mean, I think for me, it's just about the fact that they, they realize that there can't be any letdowns in any way, shape, or form. I think the weekend of the the news of the weekend for the Big Ten is nothing that's happened on the field, which is unfortunate. And, and you see with Wisconsin now being forced down to their maybe fourth-string quarterback uh, for their upcoming game against Nebraska, it just speaks to that what we've talked about multiple times, like anything can happen. You do not know how many games you're going to get in before something weird occurs. And, um, you know, you look at Penn state, the way they lost the, the fact that now that uh, Noah Kane is out, journey Brown is out this game, which was, you know, slated circled as that like key game for the year now has this weird sense of desperation to it for Penn state that I think adds um, an extra layer to why it's, dangerous i know you you guys are thinking now I, I know from talking to you and spencer like you know this this could end up being a 20 some point win for the buckeyes but to me I, I guess that's the old cynic in me i just start to get more nervous well i don't understand why you'd be more nervous about penn state like you usually save that for the very last game of the regular season what has penn state done that would give you this sort of cynicism they're coached by james franklin need i remind you uh, Penn State is the the second most talented roster in the Big Ten, and I think talent is a problem. Uh, whenever you're playing, if you play more talented teams, you have bigger issues. I think the way Penn State uh, handles their offense with the running the quarterback after watching Ohio State play against Nebraska, I think that that's something they're going to obviously try to exploit. Like Nebraska, I don't think they have a lot of threats on the outside, but you know we do see some question marks as far as the coverage ability with the linebacker position especially without Portland and Browning etc they're not really doing you know uh, with the Buckeyes moving Pete Werner to the other side which means he probably isn't going to be lining up on Pat Fryermuth like he was last year I just think that there's weird things that happen it's Halloween it's weird it's Halloween it's weird everything's weird man it's 2020 it's weird well that's one of my weird. favorite things about working with you is how easily uh, you can talk yourself in to closer games. But, and, and I'm going to remember this. I'm going to take it out of context forever now. Talent is a problem. That's I'm just going to use it in any yeah. situation. Uh, Spencer, that wasn't what I thought Burn would say, but I guess I should have been prepared for that after uh, three, four years now that he would instantly make this game more competitive than it looks on paper. Well, if Chris Olave is not in the lineup, maybe it is. But that was the dominant storyline for me was Ryan Day not wanting to comment on Chris Olave's status and then the reporters doing what all reporters do and going and asking the players about it. And the players tell you, hey, he, he's fine. He looks like he's going to be ready to play. So I think we're going to get a healthy Chris Olave. I think it was just a scare. They didn't want him in the game anymore. And was it 45-17 at that moment? You don't send him to the locker room, make sure he's all ready to go for next Saturday. And uh as Schlegs would say, you know, the Buckeyes will just be like, go Bucks. So, so they're, they're, they're ready. I think Chris Olave is going to be in the lineup. So that's the biggest takeaway for me because if Chris Olave is there, Penn State, I don't see has much of a chance. And I know that wide receiver is not a position that can really change the game, but I think it could a little bit, and now it can. That's, I mean, that's why I think for all, from the Ohio State side, that is the 
single biggest story of the week is as deep as Ohio State is at wide receiver. And I, I can't imagine anyone not looking at that as the most talented wide receiving room in the country. You know, you, Chris Olave is the leader of that group. Uh, he is a special, special player. Uh, you want to have, if talent is a problem, you want to have as much of it as possible <laughs> for your opponents to have to deal with. So you want Chris Olave available. Justin Fields wants him. Ryan Day wants him. Brian Hartline wants him. Kevin Wilson wants him. I know that that's obvious, but that's why um, you, nothing can really be taken for granted on a Tuesday, as Berm said. You know, Wisconsin has proved that. Lots of other programs around the country with what they're dealing with. Just because you might practice on Tuesday or Wednesday doesn't necessarily mean that you will be cleared for the availability report on Friday. But it certainly seems like it is trending in the right direction for Olave to play based on what you know his cohort, Garrett Wilson, said. And that's big because that means um, several things. But primarily that Garrett Wilson doesn't need to move from slot or that they don't have to count on one of these young freshmen to play more. Uh, Ohio State could easily do that berm and still be really dangerous at wide receiver, but they've got something that they got to see for one week that could really grow. And that's, you want you have your first choice guys available for what you thought was going to be a huge game. Yeah, I don't think, I think Spencer's point is correct. I mean, it, at that point in the game on Saturday, when he left the contest, I think that the, the result was somewhat decided. You had these young guys that you need to get into the game anyway, and you wanted to get them some reps when it was somewhat meaningful uh, uh, I think if, if Chris didn't fumble on that play, he probably would have been back in two plays later anyway. I mean, maybe it was more of a insult to injury thing than just injury, but he was on the sideline in good spirits the rest of the game. I, I, I don't have a huge concern about him not playing. So maybe that's why I glossed over that as far as the storylines, but um, obviously today it was sort of a Haskell Garrett appreciation day and in, in the press conference and about the, the remarkable nature of his return um, and the impact that he had on the defensive line. I mean, and, and I think, you know, people need to remember that Haskell was a top 50 player in the country coming out of, out of Bishop Corman High School. And like a lot of times, these defensive linemen take a couple of years to get to the point where they can really make an impact. And I said it after the game on Saturday and after rewatching the game um, in the last two days, the impact that Haskell Garrett made on that defensive line was instantaneous the minute he got on the field on Saturday. And he looked physically better than he's ever looked, which is, again, insane, considering that he was an inch away from being, you know, dead two months ago. I mean, it, it's not, not exaggeration. He was literally an inch away from his life being over. Um, and yet here he was re-giving life to the Buckeye defensive line, which uh, it desperately needed. And to me, that's the, that's the matchup on Saturday because I thought we would see a lot more out of the Buckeyes defensive line, uh, defensive ends on Saturday than we did. Uh, there were a couple plays that Jonathan Cooper made a couple times. He missed a sack that he could have had, but you know, when it comes to what Penn state's going to want to do, sure. They're down to their third string running back, but newsflash Devin Ford is a former five-star running back as well. So uh, it's not like they're, you know, talent isn't a problem there at Penn state when it comes to the depth at running back. Uh, now the problem is depth because they're missing journey Brown and Noah Kane, but uh, Devin Ford is a really good player. Yeah. This, this Haskell Garrett, uh, comeback story and everything is it's it's almost hard to to do justice to uh, without it sounding like hyperbole because this is such a rare situation uh, a player getting shot in the face uh, he talked about bone grafts missing five teeth uh, still being on a liquid diet which for um, you know a defensive tackle and, and at the weight that he plays at 
uh, how difficult, uh, how many protein shakes that must take uh, to get him through a season. And that part, like, he's alive. And then now we're talking, like, about the impact that he's having as a football player. That was secondary for so long. Like, would he be able to get back was the question, not what could he live up to a top 50 four-star status, which he's doing in Ohio State quite honestly needed him to do because that position um, is one of the thinner. I, I put that in quotes, uh, air quotes. I'll do that with my, I'll actually do that literally now uh, on the team. They needed somebody to have an impact there. And how many times have we seen it, Burnham and Spencer, that Larry Johnson gets somebody and it takes them three, sometimes four years. And then that light comes on. And whether that's Devon Hamilton or Jay Sean Cornell, or, uh, you know, go back through the years of all these guys, Draymond Jones with his final season. Uh, you know, sometimes you need that to get to that fourth or fifth year in the program under Larry Johnson, and then he takes you to a, another level. That looks like it's going to happen for Haskell Garrett under incredible circumstances. It, it seemed like Ohio State was a little – had a little bit of those first game sleepiness, I guess, first game issues along the defensive line. And then there was Haskell Garrett. He just took it to another level. It seemed like when, when he came in the game, like Berm said, it was instantaneous, but he didn't have any of those first game struggles. It looked like he was just thrilled to be on the field, you know, because I'm sure he is after being an inch away from dying. So to, to have that and to be able to, to have him as an energy, you know, he sparked the defensive line. I think the defensive line as a whole played a lot better after he was in there to have him as that spark you wonder how the defensive line will respond this week when you've got a game under your belt. You know how good you can be on the inside with Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togia, those guys. I think you're going to see a different defensive line, and it's because of what Haskell Garrett was able to do in the first game. Berm, you alluded to this earlier that, you know, we haven't, you know, talked to you really since rapid reaction. You know, you rewatched the game and had some different takeaways. What um, – what did you find out the second time you watched it that you missed maybe the first time that you think is either a concern or was less of a concern than you had when you left the shoe on Saturday? Uh, for me, it's that I don't think the offensive line was quite as suspect as it looked on the field on Saturday. I thought there were a couple times when running backs had holes that probably could have been hit a little quicker. I think that a lot of this stuff is what Josh Myers was talking about today. And it's, it's a, more about being tentative and, and just trying to get their feet back, you know, so to speak, get their foot, you know, back in the water uh, after almost 11 months off, which is a long, long time. Uh, I, I thought that what Josh brought up also today was that Nick Petit Frere played really, really well. And he really did. Like, I mean, that was a, a dominant performance for some guy making his first start. Um, you know, and I, I think it's just about finding, trust in, in Justin Fields and these new running backs. And what we saw a year ago was they knew what J.K. Dobbins was going to get him. And, and, and having to surrender that trust to Master Teague and, and Trey Sermon coming off injuries and Steel Chambers, who hasn't played much. In some cases, I think Justin's mindset is, I can just go get it myself, so I'm just going to do it. And, and that's good in, in a game when you need a third and five. But – when you're playing Nebraska or the majority of the Big Ten season, uh, you really have to put your trust in those running backs that they're going to get rolling. And I, Ryan Day kind of skirted around it today about the importance of um, rhythm when it comes to a running back in the offense and how he thinks that they can balance the two. Uh, I don't know that there's going to be an issue that uh, the Ohio State media um, – argues against more with Ryan Day throughout this season than that. I, I bet I bet today's not the first time 
we hear a, a media member question whether or not that's actually the right decision. Well, how many times have I written it since Saturday? I guess every single day. Uh, I feel pretty strongly about it. And in 2018, was just such a frustrating thing to watch because you knew what both Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins could do. And, and sometimes that lends itself to confusion. Um, I never really before that time bought into the notion that, that it would be like quarterback and the cliche that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, but you know, there is, I think some element to that. If you continue to force both running backs into uh, a rotational basis, when I think that these two have, uh, very different skill sets. You know, I don't think that it makes a ton of sense with the, if you Weber and Dobbins, I thought those guys were relatively interchangeable and you could understand why they thought that the offense would stay the same. I don't believe that that's true for master Teague um, and Trey sermon. Uh, maybe it, there'd be something to it. If it was, if we're talking about Trey sermon and steel chambers, but we're not um, although he could push for more carries it's that's such a, a fascinating dynamic to me because I don't believe that it's sustainable in the bigger games. You could get through November, no problem. But when you get to December 12th or December 19th or the college football playoff, you're playing Clemson or Alabama. I don't think you have to go out there and say, and, and I don't think you could win saying we're going to go 50 50 with the running backs. No. And, and you brought this up on Saturday and I, I want to just reiterate it, but either Master Teague or Trey Sermon is good enough to be the number one guy and ride with him. It doesn't – and I think it's just about ego and expectation managing more than it is what's good for the offense. That's just the way I read it. Yeah, it makes sense, and I, I think I agree 100% with Austin. I don't think you can really get that rhythm with those running backs unless you let one of them establish themselves. You know, you need a guy that you can rely on on third and one. And it looked like Ohio State was scratching its head wondering which of these guys is going to get us that yard because they tried, you know, three or four times and, and didn't succeed with it. So you have to have a guy that you can rely on. You have to be able to put your trust in one of those running backs. And and for me, I thought Trey Sermon showed some things that, that I want to see more of. Uh, from Saturday to this Saturday, I think he showed some explosiveness. He looked a little more comfortable behind the offensive line as the game wore on. And I think it's interesting to try for Ryan Day to try and continue to get both of these guys rolling when you're only giving them sometimes three, four or five plays at a time to even get rolling. And sometimes five in the five plays, two of those are carries. Yeah. It's always interesting how it works out a couple of days uh, after things settle down and you watch the film because, you know, Wyatt Davis, and we talked to him after the game on Saturday. He wasn't thrilled with the way, you know, they blocked, felt like they missed some assignments. They didn't run the ball as well as they wanted to. Then the coaches sit down, four out of the five offensive linemen, greatest champions. Josh Myers comes in early this week and says what you said, Berm. It was a lot better than maybe it looked. And I think there is an element to this that Ryan Day has touched on several times that the opener last year, you know, obviously the competition level is different, but Ohio State still didn't run the football as powerfully against Florida Atlantic of all teams as it would against many others throughout the course of the year. And so that's Josh Meyer said, I can't put my finger on it, but when you play the first game of the year, you know, it's just not the same, you know, it takes time before you really get settled into football again. It takes, uh, it takes a minute to adjust to actually hitting somebody with violent intention. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can practice for, for 10 straight months and you can practice and you can practice in pads, but you're not going after your defensive players the same way you go after someone else's. And that's, it is a different, uh, you know, style of, of fight that you have to have. It, that becomes, you know, I, I thought it was interesting to see today or hear today, Josh Myers talking about 
the offensive lineman paying attention to what happens to Justin Fields when he's tackled. And when, you know, I, I, I'm, I was really only thinking about it because of what happened in, to Andy Dalton on Sunday uh, in the Dallas game when he got absolutely obliterated uh, on a slide. And I can't believe that none of his offensive linemen came and fought for him. Like that to me was the hardest like football, you know, it's changed a little bit in the last 15, 20 years, but I remember looking back, I mean, I think it was, I think it was Steve Young one time got in a, got hit in the, in the end zone of a 49ers game and got up and threw the ball at the guy that hit him. And then like five 49ers jumped on this one dude who hit him after he scored a touchdown and, and it was turned into a big brawl. I can't remember who it was against. doesn't matter. Point is, I, I think it's good that Ohio state is, is, is making it a point that they're paying attention to these things because they know Justin Fields is, is their answer to pretty much anything that can happen this year. And I, I thought about it on Saturday watching, but like, is there ever a team in the history of football that looks less freaked out when it's second and 18 than this Ohio state team? It's like, yeah, who cares? Second, 18, Justin will get 15 on this play. We'll get 30 on the next one. Big deal. Yeah. That's um, I, I said that the other day, uh, I think on Letterman live, like, if the choice for Justin Fields is to extend plays and occasionally hit on a big scramble and maybe take two or three sacks a game, and in, in return you have no interceptions, you know, look at the course of the regular season last year, and the one was just, you know, kind of a fluky gadget play, uh, leaving aside what happened in the Fiesta Bowl. But he he has made a decision that he can he's athletic enough to extend plays. He knows what's going to happen, you know, four or five times a game, it's going to be a big one. And he has incredible confidence, uh, thanks to the offensive line he has and the skilled players around him, that second and 18 or third and long doesn't face him at all. They have complete confidence that they can still get that. And one guy who even did that on Saturday was Steel Chambers. Uh, they can still run the – they're not even opposed to running it on third and long. Maybe it was for field position, but, you know, he still got the first down. Um, that's – that's a tribute to this team. It's why they're so dangerous. But to your other point, uh, I would not ever want to try and risk hitting Justin Fields late with Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford, Harry Miller, or Nick petit Frere on the field because those five um, will be like these fabled 49ers of some year 30 years ago. I'll find, I'll, I'll find it. I know it's got to be on the internet somewhere. It was, very, it was a quarterback draw, and, he, and Steve Young ran in for a touchdown and got – shoved I think I'm gosh it was against the Bears it was against the Bears okay Sean Gale it was Sean Gale that's who hit him was Sean Gale in the end zone and Steve Young turned around and whipped the ball at him and then Jerry Rice like attacked Sean Gale and then it turned into a brawl yeah like more like Steve old (laughs) wow Okay. So, 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 do you know how good Steve Young was? He was like <laughs> the last. The last thing I want to add about this Ohio State offensive line that should have been this, the last thing this, you added. This back on the rails is, I feel like Ohio Wait. State's off. I feel like Ohio State's offensive line went pretty vanilla. Where you know Nebraska's defensive line was throwing every stunt they had at Ohio State's offensive line. I think this is going to be easy to get sorted out. I think Penn State had to throw everything they had at Indiana to try and win that game. And I think Ohio State's going to be fine along the offensive line. The confidence Josh Myers showed, the calm confidence he's been showing uh, throughout the summer, throughout even the pandemic, and then after one game where people are you know running around like chickens with their head cut off, freaking out about this Ohio State offensive line. He's calm. He's confident. He's ready to get back to work. And I think this offensive line is going to be 
just fine in Austin. I think they're still going to be in the running for that award. Oh, really? They're going to be tested on. They're going to be tested on Saturday. Shaka Tony and Jason Owe are very good defensive ends. I think that uh, Penn State does a lot of blitzing from the linebacker position, which is what Wisconsin did to Ohio State a lot um, in the last couple meetings. That really caught the Buckeyes off guard. That's what Nebraska did last week to really kind of throw some wrinkles at the offensive line. So, I mean, they better be ready. And, and that's why I, I think it's more important than ever for Ohio State to establish who the running back is and and try to lean on them early with, uh, you know, establishing a running game to to soften up the middle of that defensive line. What award was that, Spencer? I believe it's the uh, – let me check my notes. The Moore Award. Oh, okay. Good to know. Uh, More like the less award if they play the way they did last week. Right, Spencer? Okay, this has been the Buyer's Auto Practice <laughs> Report. The, we're obviously in mid-season form. Uh, when it, the internal clock goes off in my head, hey, we're about to go off the rails. Let's shut it down. I didn't get there yet. Uh, that was a little James Franklin clock management by me. Uh, that's Burn Spencer Holbrook. I am Austin Ward. This has been the Buyer's Auto Practice Report. Stay with us all week for coverage ahead of Ohio State at Penn State. Uh, this weekend on the road in prime time. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.